Let's, let's pray. Lord God, we pray so that we can focus. We pray so that we can turn our attention and our hearing ears towards your voice. We pray so that when we look in the scriptures and look at the stories that are given us about you in the scriptures, that, that our eyes would be open and we, we might see what we haven't seen before in such a way that it would encourage us and motivate us. And I pray today that all of us would be able to set aside all the concerns and the issues that we walked in here with and to lay them aside and lay them at the altar and to be pure in our hearing and our thinking. And I pray that you would allow me to speak the words that would be anointed by your Holy Spirit and nothing else. I pray that every one of us and everyone under the sound of my voice would be able to conclude uh, this time together and saying that we have heard something of the voice of your Holy Spirit. I pray in the name of Jesus and everyone said, in search of hidden treasure. This is again carrying along the same theme that we talked about last week. In search of hidden treasure, we're going to start off, again, just a little different than I normally do, but I'm going to read some scripture, but I'm not going to read much scripture. Uh, now, it's going to say on the screen that we're going to read Matthew 13, 44, but I'm actually going to read 45 and 46 as well. So if, if you can stand for three verses, I would invite you to stand while we read the scripture. We will read some other scripture in a little while, but we're going to read these now. I'm, uh, I'm reading again from the English Standard Version. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had, and bought it. You can be seated. One of the things we, we want to understand as we're going through this time, I don't even know if this is a series or not, but as we're going through this time of looking at different encounters, is that the main method uh, that we have of spreading the gospel is infiltration. Now, you know, there I, I don't know how many... Thousands upon thousands, maybe millions of people who went down the aisle at a Billy Graham crusade and accepted Christ. Uh, I don't know how many, but let's, it doesn't matter what the number is. It's still, I'm not criticizing Billy Graham's crusades, by the way, but it's still a very small percentage of professing Christians around the world. Very small. Why is that? Because the main method is infiltration. Meetings are great. Crusades are great. Thank God for the crusades. Thank God for the people who, and I know many people who've gotten saved at Billy Graham crusades. Thank God. But the majority of what takes place in spreading the gospel are not in crusades or even church meetings, but it's infiltrating the culture. In New Testament times, church services was not primarily used, they were not primarily used as a place of evangelism. Uh, there's nothing wrong with having a church service and it being evangelistic. 
But the New Testament church, if you'll look in the scripture and just pay attention, they didn't use that time necessarily as evangelism. They used it as a place of training and strengthening and encouraging the saints. Why is that? Because the main method of spreading the gospel is for the saints to go out into the field. The other stuff is great, but I'm talking about the majority of what takes place. And you take a look at examples of when Jesus showed up on the scene, he went down to the seashore. He went down to the waterfront. And he mingled with some smelly fishermen. I guarantee you, my wife and I grew up on the Florida Gulf Coast. We know what smelly fishermen smell like. We know what smell, what fish smells like. You walk out on a, at a, at a, a marina or some boat docks or something, you immediately, you know what the smell is. And Jesus went straight to these guys. He's just walking down the, the, the waterfront and he, he comes across them and he begins to mingle with them and ultimately calls them, I hope after a bath, to come follow him. And he'd make, it's interesting how Jesus speaks to you where you are. He says to these guys, you follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. They understood that because they were fishermen. Uh, and then we see that Jesus, just in walking around in his life, he goes to the marketplace. Jesus goes, now he did go to the synagogues, he went to the temples, but we see most of Jesus' work was done in the marketplace. He went to this marketplace and he made friends with, don't miss that, he made friends with, and called as one of his disciples a tax collector who is the most despised individual in that culture, a tax collector. And then he attended a party at that tax collector's home. Of course, we know now that that's Matthew. He attended a party. Matthew, how about somebody says, I'll be a follower of Jesus. Hey, how about come to a party at my house tonight? We, we don't think that way, do we? We think, come go with me to church. Now, I, I like for you to bring people to church. But Jesus said, I'm going to your house. And he goes to a party. And this party was had other tax collectors. Once again, the lowest form of sinners in that day was a tax collector. And so the Pharisees and the church people started going, eh, 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 you know, running their mouths. Hey, he, he's hanging out with sinners. He's hang. Okay. We see it now. He's, he's, he's enjoying time with sinners. He's spending time with them. And Jesus, he had a reply for them. And, and I want us to hear his reply and see it. His reply was those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. To repentance. And as we go out into wherever our feet take us, we're watching for those who are sick. And I don't mean always physically sick. Uh, As has already been alluded to this morning, we encounter a lot of people who are sick in the sense that they have no hope. Uh, They just don't, they just, they don't have anything or anyone to hold on to. They're trying to hold on to their possessions. They're trying to hold on to their status. They're trying to hold on to their power or they're trying to hold on to themselves and they can't find anything. Those are sick people. And Jesus said, I've come to call the sinners to repentance. 
And I would like to just add an addendum to that. That's obviously speaking of when people come to Christ and are born again. But I want to tell you that sometimes you and I get into a place that we are sinners who need to repent. Don't tell me you don't because I know you do. You know how I know you do? I are one. I said yesterday I couldn't spell sinner. Today I are one anyway. And so we we see the sum total of the message and the actions of Jesus is to infiltrate society with our bag of seed. And Psalm 126 says we go out rejoice. We go out uh, with our bag of seed. We come back rejoicing with our sheaves. And imagine this bag of seed. And you've heard me refer to this many times. That we go out hanging off of our belt, if we had a belt. And that seed's always available to us. It's always ready. And we're always ready to sow seed. And when you pray with someone in a Lowe's about a microwave oven, you're just sowing seed out there. It's, it's almost as if God has this cosmic salt shaker. And he's sprinkling upon the earth. He's turned it upside down and he's sprinkling upon the earth his people, his redeemed generation of people. Maybe this, maybe this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are, by the way, the salt of the earth. And this cosmic salt shaker is is spreading us sovereignly and by design wherever God wishes. In the field that we call the world, Jesus has hidden treasure that he joyfully purchased with all that he had. Jesus has hidden treasure. What is this treasure? What is God's treasure in the world. We're going to go looking for hidden treasure. What is God's treasure? The psalmist asks, what is mankind that you are mindful of, of them? Human beings that you care for them. The psalmist was genuine. What, why would you bother with us? Job was a little plainer. He said, what is mankind that you make so much of them, that you give them so much attention? If you think about it, think about the attention that God gives to the human race. Think about what God provides for you and for me. Think about the actions of God toward you and me. I mean, we've we've been singing about it all morning. Think about that. Why? Why would he take the time to do what he's done and to say what he said and to give what he's given? Why would he do that except that his people are his treasure? We sing a song around here sometimes written by Stuart Townend that says, How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure is his love for us. That he should give his only son, watch this part, to make a wretch his treasure. 
We must understand that when God comes with redemption, he's coming to take a wretch and convert that into his treasure. Now, we are his treasure in a general sense that we belong to him. He loves us. He cares for us. But in that moment when we are regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become this treasure to God. We're no longer a wretch. From the most recent book that I have published, <laughs> I have to say that because I've got, it's this volume nine and I've got 25 written. So anyway, we've got a ways to go to catch up. Do you think it is possible that the world is full of hidden treasure, treasure in the form of human beings that we have been assigned the task of engaging with the good news so the Lord can recover his treasure that has been stolen from him? I think so. I think we have been tasked with um, the mission to go out with our bag of seed. Again, and I want to, I'm just going to beat this horse till he's so dead Kevin can't help him. <laughs> I'm not calling you to go out and start a ministry. I'm not calling you to go out and, and witness to everything that moves. I, you know, there are people gifted and called to do that. But the majority of the people listening to me this morning, whether you're sitting in this room or watching on online at home or somewhere else, majority of the people are not going to do that, are not going to be expected to go out and start a worldwide ministry or to go out and start beating on the side. No, that's the majority of the people that I'm talking to. This is going to take place, as we'll see in a moment, in the everyday a flow of your life. And yet we need to have our eyes peeled for opportunities. I'm going to look hopefully briefly at two encounters. You're familiar with both of them. The first one we call the unnamed woman at the well. I certainly am not going to try to read this entire passage. I'll put the passage up on the screen. Uh, but we're just going to read the first eight verses or I'll, you could follow along. If not, it's, if you're, uh, using the U version notes, the verses will be available on your phone or your tablet. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although this is interesting, Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour, which is noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, here's what's interesting about that story, and there's a lot more left to it, and we're not going to read all that, but it said he, it, in the English Standard Version, it says he had to, he had to pass through Samaria. Now, in that day, good Jewish people would not go to Samaria. <laughs> they were a mixed race of people who were part Israel in part Assyrians, and because of that, there was angst between the two. The Sumerians and the, the woman at the well speaks of this, but they had actually created their own form of worship, their own temple. 
But so a, a good Jewish person would go a longer route around Samaria to get where they were going. Bible says Jesus had to pass through Samaria. The old King James says Jesus must needs go through Samaria. Aren't you glad we got better translations? The word had to in that sentence is a word that means it is necessary. <laughs> it is necessary. How many times have you gone somewhere? I mean, you've gone somewhere and wound up in another place and you don't know why you went there. But what you didn't know, what you may find out later, what you didn't know was it was necessary for you to go that way. Instead of, I mean, going back to Bill's example, since this Lowe's didn't have a microwave, you go to that one. Why? Because it's necessary. Don't ever think that God's forgot about you. Don't think you're just stumbling through life, bouncing off of the walls, trying to find your way. He goes to Jacob's well and it's high noon. The scripture I just read said he was weary from his journey. And what, here we see the humanity of Jesus. He got thirsty. He got tired. He got hungry. He got angry. He didn't sin, but he got angry. I'm trying to figure that one out. And, and he's, he sits down by this well. And here comes this woman, this Sumerian woman. And don't forget, it's noon. Most likely, it's really hot. And here she comes with her bucket. And she's, she's coming at the hottest part of the day. Why? Because she is a woman uh, with a less than reputation. And if she comes in the morning when all the other ladies come out there, she's liable to be exposed to ridicule and gossip. And so she comes at noon so there's nobody there. So she don't have to deal with all that stuff. And she finds this Jew sitting by the well. Oh, my God. The one day. Because normally, if there was a Jewish man sitting there, either he would not speak to her at all, which is most likely, or he would ridicule her because of a number of things. But top of the list, she's a Samaritan. Of course, I would want to ask the question, why did you want to come to my hometown and ridicule me? You should have went around like everybody else. But anyway, she comes out with her bucket, and the first thing he says to her is, and that's interesting that he said anything to her. He said, give me a drink. Now, he wasn't ordering her, woman, give me a drink. It wasn't that. By the way, when the scripture, when they, when the scripture with Jesus or others would say, like he says to his mother at the wedding of Canaan, when he says, woman, you know, bum, bum. That's not like when I say to my wife, woman. <laughs> and and y'all know when I do that, I don't see her for two weeks. <laughs> And then I see her out, out of one eye, just a little bit. No, in the scripture, when they, they do that, that's not what it means. It just means they're addressing her. They're not, they're not bossing her or ordering her. They're just addressing her. And he says to her, give me, give me a drink. Now she's surprised about a lot of things here. For one thing, he said something to her. That was, she was shocked. Why did he ask for her to give him a drink? Well, again, 
I'm just a, a redneck bubba from the panhandle of Florida. But I have deduced that he was thirsty. <laughs> Wasn't anything spiritual about it. He was just thirsty. I need something to drink. Would you give me something to drink? And she was surprised. She said, what? How is it that you, a Jew, would ask me? Because she said, and the, the verbiage that she used indicated that the Jews did not share eating and drinking vessels with the Samaritans. In other words, they didn't drink after one. I, I remember when I was a kid and, and we would have, you know, our, our family and one of my cousins would come over and, 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 uh, and they would want to drink out of my glass. Ooh, ooh, we. I'm still kind of that way. I didn't want to drink after anybody. Well, that's what this was. Usually Jews and Samaritans would not use the same dishes. And she's saying, you don't have anything to dip with. What, what, what's happening here? You want to drink out of my bucket? But here's the deal. The, that request, because he was thirsty, don't miss that. That request initiated a dis- discourse between Jesus and this woman. Because, thankfully, the disciples had gone into the city to buy food. They were nowhere around because they had been a problem. And so they have this discourse. Ultimately, she says, you don't have anything to dip your water with. He said, well, actually, I have living water. Again, thirsty, give me a drink. Discourse, I have living water. And she said, well, you don't even have anything to carry any water in. How can you be, what are you going to do with it? He said, uh, actually, the, the water that I'm talking about, if you partake of it, you'll never thirst again. Now, don't miss this. This was not a church service. This was not an evangelistic campaign. This was not thumping the Bible on the sidewalk. And Roddy said, well, they don't throw Bibles at people. That's good. This is a conversation taking place in a normal situation. Except when Jesus is involved, it's never normal. He said, go call your husband. And she said, um, homina, homina, homina. He's watching Honeymooners. Um, I have no husband. And then Jesus said, you are correct. You have no husband. You've had five. And the man you're living with right now is not your husband. (laughs) She must have been from the panhandle of Florida, too, because she said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. (laughs) Because he told her, but she didn't think he knew. Immediately, she takes off back to the city and she starts telling everybody in this classic statement, there's been so many sermons that use this as a title, come see a man. Come see a man who told me everything about me. Come see a man. And I'm abbreviating this. You need to read the rest of the chapter. And if if I'm boring, you read it now. 
Here's a key, and we're going to come back to some things later. Good Lord, help us. He was not oblivious to her. When he when she came up with that bucket, he didn't turn his back to her and pretend or even not even notice that she was there. He noticed. So we, we have to pay attention when we've got people around us. And in the natural flow of conversation, he introduced her to the concept of living water. And in the midst of that, she recognized her own thirst. It took her a minute because she thought he was talking about that water in that well. But in a little bit, she got it. And ultimately, if you read the passage, if you're reading it now, you need to look up here a minute. (laughs) He ultimately introduced her to the Messiah. You know, it wasn't often that Jesus would say, I am he, but he did to her. I'm the one, I'm the one you're talking about. She was so excited, she forgot her human needs and ran to the city. She left her water jar by the well and she went to tell others to come see a man. Now, I'm sure that she got thirsty again, but in that moment, she wasn't thinking about that water in that well. She was thinking about that living water. And she left her water jar and took off to the city to tell them. The Bible says at the end of that, many, I think it says many, many of those in that city came to be followers of Jesus Christ. Because one lady said, come see a man. And one lady got to that place because Jesus was tired and Jesus was thirsty And they saw a well, and he said, you guys, go into the town and get us some Big Macs. I'm going to sit here and drink some water. That's that's how all of this started. I'm hoping, maybe I shouldn't use Jesus as an example here, but I'm hoping you can see that it's just a normal, natural thing of life. And that's what happened with him. There's another story. A man named Zacchaeus, speaking of a tax collector. We little man, we used to sing the song, Zacchaeus. I hope this is not racist to say, but I thought, if Zacchaeus was short in the midst of a Jewish nation, how short was he really? Adam, you can edit that out. I'm just wondering what I wonder, you know. Let me just read you uh, Luke 19 about this this tax collector. He entered, uh, this is Jesus. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Don't miss that. He was passing, everybody say through. So he wasn't going to Jericho. He was going to pass through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was the second because he was the first. You get it? He was rich because he was the chief tax collector. We'll see. We'll come back to that. And he was, some of you are too short to hear what I'm saying. It's going right over your head. Anyway. <laughs> and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Everybody say pass. 
He was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they, the the church people, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, and Jesus should have said right then, No, duh, of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Who is Zacchaeus? We said he's the chief, he was the chief tax collector. He was head of the customs, customs department in Jericho. He worked with and for, this is a key, he worked with and for the Roman government. That was a military occupational government. And because of that, he was despised and avoided because he, they perceived, and probably rightfully so, that he had betrayed his people. Some of you mentioned earlier, you maybe have watched The Chosen, some episodes of The Chosen, and you saw, especially in the first season, how that Matthew was uh, avoided because he was a betrayer. And this was Zacchaeus. He was a social and a religious outcast. He was one of the most despised people in that area. Not just because he had pilfered their money, but because he had he had uh, betrayed his nation. And so for Zacchaeus to go in the midst of all of these people and climb up that sycamore tree, for him to do that was risky. It was risky on the part of Zacchaeus because he, who knows what might have happened. But he goes up the tree. And he did that because he was determined to see Jesus. I submit to you today that a lot of people that you will meet in the marketplace or in the place that you play and work, a lot of the people that you will run, you will engage with, they won't tell you but they're determined to see Jesus in their heart. You know, the young man Jim talked about that the, had a problem with the church. Well, sometimes I have a problem with the church, some of the church. But I don't have a problem with Jesus. It's his kids that get me rankled sometimes. <laughs> but some of uh, the people you're... That you, you know, some of them have been hurt by a church or a pastor. I mean, we went through the forgiveness message a few weeks ago. You can go back and look at that again. Ultimately, we got to get over it. Ultimately, we got to let it go. And the people that you engage with, whether they'll tell you that or not, they, they're determined to see Jesus. And, and they want to see you. They want you to be Jesus with skin on. When, and the Bible says, when Jesus came to the place, now he's passing through Jericho, and it says when he came to the place. And sometimes in your in your meanderings through life, you will find yourself coming to a place. That may or may not be a geographical place, but you'll come to a place and something happens. When Jesus came to the place where Zacchaeus had climbed up that sycamore tree. He stopped 
And he looked up into the tree and he saw him. And I'm going to come back to this, but don't miss that Jesus saw Zacchaeus. He could have walked right by him. He could have ignored him. Who's that little fellow up in the tree? He, I mean, he could have done any number of things, but it says he came to the place. Probably divinely realized that this was his divine appointment. So naturally, the church people, they complained and grumbled. They said, and we're talking about the Pharisees, they said, he's, he's gone to the house of a sinner. What kind of guy is this? Now, here's an interesting thing. In the, in the English Standard Version, it says, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, you might read that and think that Jesus went and had a cup of coffee and some donuts with Zacchaeus and went on his way. But the word there for guest is the word lodging. As a matter of fact, the Christian Standard Bible, which is a pretty good version in my opinion, says that he had gone to lodge with a sinful man. In other words, he was staying. It was a hotel. He was lodging with Zacchaeus, not just going to have a cup of coffee and some donuts. He was staying with this sinner. And said, and of course, immediately Zacchaeus starts confessing his sins. And Jesus says, today, salvation has come to this house. Because I've come to seek and save that which is lost. So he's saying, Zacchaeus was a hidden treasure, and he's found him. There's more I'd like to say, but let's run through some lessons to be learned from this. Lesson number one, short people actually do have a reason to live. (laughs) Sorry about that, Randy Newman, but your song doesn't work anymore. Actually... Here's some lessons. First of all, God orders your steps. You might not know it. You might, God might not be telling you, okay, step over there or step over there. You, if you'll live your life, you'll find that God will order your steps. And as God orders your steps and you go through life, you watch for opportunities. This has been said numerous times today, not just by me, but you watch. Here's the key. Usually we blunder through life and we don't watch. I try to pick on the uh, checkout people at Publix uh, and any other disdainful establishment I'll go in. Anyway, uh, and my wife, she gets, she says, boy, you're so crazy. You know, but I, I, I pick on them. I try to, you know, hey, a uh, girl was bagging our groceries the other day, and, and it, the side of the bag just ripped open, just like you'd have taken a knife to it, and stuff fell out. I said, that bag was made on Wednesday. Now, some of you don't know what that means, and she didn't either. If you want to buy a car, don't buy a car made on Wednesday. It's the worst day of the week because they've 
been to work a couple of days, they're miserable, they're cantankerous, and they miss things and they do things wrong. If you want to buy a car, you want to buy one made on Monday or Friday because Monday they're just getting started, still got a little vim and vigor about them, and Friday they're getting ready to check out and go take care of the weekend. So that's the days you want your car made. But on Wednesdays, and I said, that, that bag was made on Wednesdays. Well, you know. You don't know what's going to happen there, but you got to watch for opportunities. Now here, see the people. I was was reading years ago. I was reading uh, Matthew nine thirty one in the New American Standard Version, and it, and it read this way: Jesus, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. Now there are a lot of other versions that are good, but boy, when I read that in that version. I said, there's the problem. The only way you're really going to have compassion for people is that you actually see them. That you actually see them. As you go through whatever life steps, whatever place your feet take you, you should know that God's ordering your steps, watch for opportunities, and make sure that you see, everybody say see, See. the people. And I don't mean just see their physical bodies. You know what I'm talking about. I'm thinking of a story that Brother Charles Simpson told one time about being in a checkout uh, with a girl, and and uh, he said something to her, uh, how are you doing, and is your life okay? And she just started squalling. His, I think his exact quote was, tears began to squirt out of her eyes. <laughs> and when she gathered herself, he said, are you okay? She said, nobody ever sees me. Even these people I work with, they don't see me. And people come through my line and they just check, 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 here's your money. They don't see me. You saw me. And it it touched her that he saw her. And then I began to ask, how many people do we walk by that we don't even see? Oh, yeah, we might even bump into them, but I don't mean we saw them. Keep your eyes open. See the people. Never prejudge who God might draw. Can't believe God would save him. Can't believe God would save her. Well, thank God you're not doing the picking. The lady at the well, her lifestyle and Zacchaeus' wealth did not satisfy. Neither one of them had been satisfied by their lifestyle. Her lifestyle was obviously... um, no other way to say it, immoral. And find, trying to find something. I go, let me say this the right way. She was trying to find something in the arms of a man. Now, there's validity to a husband and wife, you know, finding someone in their arms and loving one another. But she was trying to find something in a sensual manner. And he was trying to find something in the gathering of wealth, and neither one of them were satisfied. She was thirsty, and he was so determined he climbed up a tree. Jesus was not afraid of the implications of his engaging with these folks. Um, in, in the case of the woman, it says they marveled that he talked to a woman. A Jew talking to a woman. You know who it was that was marveling? His disciples. What's he doing talking to a woman? 
I'm talking to a woman. Hey, we brought some food. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And naturally, these guys are so um, thick-headed. One of them said, did somebody bring him something to eat? He wasn't talking about that kind of food. And in the case of Zacchaeus, he wasn't hesitant to go lodge in the house of this tax collector, this sinner. He wasn't hesitant. He, he, of course, it says later on, Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus came to seek and to save all, everybody say all, all those who are destined for destruction. Brother Jim Newsom, who will be here next Sunday and share, will be speaking to the men, once wrote, it is a serious thing to be reconciled to God and not be a reconciler for God. I never can remember the, I showed a video here one time of um, Penn and Teller. Is it Penn that does the talking? Somebody, come on, you. Some of you experts. Tell her. See there. One of those guys. One of them doesn't do any talking. The one who does the talking. And I shared a video here where he said, or he's an atheist. But he said, if you are Christian and if you believe in heaven and hell, how much do you have to hate someone to not tell them about heaven and hell? An atheist preaching to us. And that's kind of what Jim's saying. You know, how how in the world can we be reconciled to God and not be a reconciler for God? Again, not saying we all got to run out here and be evangelists because we're not. Not we got to go out and stand on the street corner, start yelling at people because we that no, but but that we would watch, we would see, we would engage. And if we're thirsty, we go get something to drink. And wherever our thirst takes us, what we might, we don't know what we're going to find. But God's ordered our steps. And here's your here's your uh, ammo, so to speak. Always be ready. Everybody say always. always. How many of you know when when that is? Well, y'all so smart. Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Did I not get a slide on that, William? Okay. On me. Always. This is First Peter 3.15. Always be ready. To give an answer or an account to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Because you're going to give somebody and say, well, how can you in this day, how can you with this going on, especially if you're going through something, if you just had a death in the family, if you just had an illness in the family, if you had something going on in your life and you still maintain some measure of joy and peace, which you should be able to, I guarantee you somebody's going to say, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you can do that with all that going on in your life. And you say, what do you say? Let me tell you. 
Let me give you an answer for the hope that's in me. So, our assignment, once again, our homework is let's go treasure hunting. Let's go treasure hunting. And I'll repeat myself, as I said earlier. I'm beating the horse, and he's going to be thoroughly dead. Most of the time, the treasure will be found right where you are. Now, some now let me just say, some people, God will speak to you, and, and I may deal with uh, Philip and the, the, the uh, eunuch in maybe a couple weeks or whatever. God will speak to you and say, go there. Go down that road. Now, when, I'm getting ahead of myself, but when God spoke to Philip, Acts 8 or 9, I forget, and said, go down that road, Philip didn't know what he was going to find when he went down that road. But we'll deal with that later, maybe. But some, some of you, God's going to speak to you that way. Some of you, God's going to say to you, I want you to start this ministry. And some of you are gifted and called to do that, and I encourage you to do it. If you need help with it, let me know. We'll do what we can to help. Most people are not in that boat. Most people are going to find that treasure wherever your feet take you. So I'm just asking you to watch, to see, to engage, and then let God fill your mouth with the words necessary. Can we do that? Stand with me. Lord Jesus, we certainly love looking at stories of you and and how you followed the path. And we certainly gain from watching how you uh, engage with especially these two. I pray that we would, uh, that every one of us would have gained some lesson from these, these accounts that would allow us to go out into the world that you have us living in with our bag of seed ready to give an answer for our hope. So I pray that as each one of us go about our normal activities or maybe particular activities this coming week, I pray that we our eyes would be open, that we would see, that we would watch, and we would engage. And the result of that would be that the, your kingdom seed has been sown and that people's lives will have been changed. And so I thank you for this time together. I thank you for the work that your Holy Spirit is doing right now in the midst of people's lives and you will continue to do as we go about our way. And I pray in the name of Jesus and everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go out there and act like somebody.